0: Welcome. My name is Mika Newton. I'm the CEO of x Welcome to Target Cancer, a podcast about how health technology and technology is affecting the lives and changing the world for patients and oncologists. I'm joined today by Dr. Mahan. Dr. Mahan, very nice to meet you. Welcome to the show.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, it's wonderful. T- tell us a little bit about you and your practice and, and what you do.
1: Yeah, so I'm, I'm Dr. Meehan. I'm a board-certified urologist in the east valley of phoenix i run a i guess like a high-end boutique practice for men's health and women's health but my focus is on cancer and today we're going to talk about prostate cancer i also treat bladder cancer kidney cancer penile cancer testicular cancer and i have a real passion to uh educate and i really want to demystify um what, what I do and share that with you guys. And, and I, I look forward to do that today.
0: Oh, yeah. Thank
1: you, Dr. Mahan. You, you know, one of the things that
0: we were uh, talking about is, you know, patients um, who haven't had a cancer diagnosis before, right? It's not like they go out and they um, spend their time before they become cancer patients, like learning about cancer. I don't think that's what most people would do. Um, and so even some of the most brilliant people have like no foundation, no like background and Uh, one of the things that we've been talking about is how do we enrich, how do we use technology and information to really enrich the experience for patients, right? Of like getting them to the point where this time, which is very valuable that they have with their treating physician can actually get them the most benefit. And one of the things that we talk about is actually empowerment uh, information sharing, shared decision-making, like how how do we do that? So h- how does that work in your practice? What are the kind of basic tools that you try to use and how do you work with patients around, uh, especially as they're newly diagnosed, to like really kind of help them get up to speed on where they, they need to be?
1: Yeah, great question. It, it takes time. And the problem is when I sit down with a new patient and we throw out the word cancer, they become paralyzed, paralyzed with fear, paralyzed with the, you know, well, what's going to happen? And and no matter what I say in that first visit, they only retain maybe five to ten percent of it. And then so it takes multiple visits to kind of bring them up to speed so that they can be empowered with their own um, shared decision making that we're going to make together. And it, it takes a while to get there. And I, you know the way I think now in twenty twenty one we we roll is with technology and utilizing podcast, utilizing internet, however we can to. Give virtual consultation before to really empower patients and to, to to feed them knowledge, so that when they come and they meet with a doctor or whoever their you know their their treating physician or treating treating provider is, they're they're up to speed and they can make an informed decision.
0: Yeah, I can agree with you more. So, uh, when we chatted briefly, uh, Doctor Mahan, you brought up the fact you actually have this type of material and you have it for uh, prostate cancer. Do I understand
1: that correctly? Yeah, I really trying to set up virtual consultations, even the YouTube videos or whatnot, so I can kind of go over things. And what I want to do today, and I've never done this before on a, a video blog or or a, a recorded event, is to go over some material that I put together for patients. I, I do a lot of speaking nationally and whatnot um, and, and in Arizona. This is a talk I put together for doctors, for family doctors, so that they could get a basic understanding of prostate cancer. And I put this together. I wanted to add in what, what's the latest things, what's the, the best things that are out there for prostate cancer that may be new and that may be uh, something that a, a family doctor doesn't know about and how do I educate them so they can educate their patients. Then I found out that this talk really resonates well with patients. They understand it too. So I, you know, why not just give them the talk and they can right. get a basic understanding overview of prostate cancer and what I do as a urologist, how I, how we, how we, 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 we screen for it, how we diagnose it and how do we treat it? And then, and then even more, what's the next step beyond that? And I, I want to share that with you guys today. I'm really excited about it. This I'm is-
0: super excited too. I, I absolutely know the audience of this show is this is what they're looking for. So, um, why don't we, uh, do you want to take us through it? Like, let's put up yeah. the presentation and let's go for it. Thank you. I'm going to,
1: you guys are my patients today. So here we go. Okay. So what is the prostate? What does it do? Well, the prostate is a sex gland it adds fluid to carry sperm. It kind of sits in the crossroads of the, the, the pelvis of a man. And you have the bladder that sits right above it. When we urinate, urine goes through the prostate. There's a channel there. When we ejaculate, uh, most of the fluid that comes in our ejaculation is made by the prostate. And it's just, it's just this, this wonderful organ that sits in the middle of our pelvis that, that, that has several different functions. And what we see with, uh, let's see if I can rotate through this here. Hang on here. There we go. Okay. What we see is there can be abnormal gr- growth of cells in the prostate, and we call that prostate cancer. And prostate cancer begins in the prostate. There are these glands in the prostate that that work to, 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 to help make the fluid for ejaculation. And... Cancer can start in those cells and that's what prostate cancer is. It can grow and it can spread. It can go into lymph nodes and go into the bones, but that's prostate cancer um, that becomes metastatic or that leaves the prostate, but prostate cancer starts in the prostate. What are the statistics? How common is prostate cancer? It is so common. Did you know that there are 2.5 million men living in the United States with prostate cancer, maybe 3 million this year one in seven men in the United States will be diagnosed of prostate cancer. I think if you go looking for it, you're going to find it. There's a study in Japan. I love this study. They did an autopsy in all men. And all men, if you look at men over 80, and they died of other reasons, 80% of them had prostate cancer. Isn't that crazy? So That's- I think if you live long enough, you're going to get it. And um, the, the reassuring stat here is only 5% of people who get it, who are diagnosed with it, actually die from it. So it's super common if we search for it we often find it. but the reality is it's not lethal for majority of men majority of men are going to live with it throughout their whole lives and do just fine. but the numbers are such that it's still the second leading cause of cancer death in men and I think it it really makes sense to 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 work it up and to to kind of really put all the cards on the table to help you make a decision. we start looking at treatment. So the overview though, is prostate cancer is extremely common. Um, The average age of diagnosis is around 66. And, um, you know, it's kind of rare in people who are younger under the age of 40, extremely rare. What are the symptoms of prostate cancer? Well, there's no symptoms at first. I, you know, I see so many men that start waking up at night and they're, they're, they're urinating. Or they may have uh, trouble urinating, and they get worried about cancer, but that's not cancer. That's typically just normal enlargement of the prostate with age. Prostate cancer typically has no symptoms. Back in the day before we started screening, late you know, if you let prostate cancer really grow and become very trouble, become very large and obstructing, then you can have issues. but that's that's kind of rare in today's world. Um, the fact is many men with prostate cancer have no symptoms at all. And we start looking at screening, and screening's been very controversial. It's it's kind of interesting. We we find as urologists the greatest benefit in screening men um, starting at the age of 55 and going to the age of 70. And I, I often screen men that are younger than 55 who are at higher risks, like if they're if they have a family history of prostate cancer. Um, African American men have a higher risk of prostate cancer. And 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 we can custom tailor that to, to people who are at higher risk and, and start checking people earlier, even in their forties. So yeah, and then when do we stop screening men? That's a great question because I have a I have a lot of older men that that, that have had their PSAs checked for years, and when do you stop checking? And, uh, you know, it's really an individualized decision for the patient. I, I check people in their 70s. If they're, if they're healthy and, and if they're planning to live another 10, 20 years, I think it's worthwhile to know. So what is the controversial aspect of this? Well, in 2012, this is right when I finished my training and I came out to Arizona, there's this U.S. Preventative Service Task Force, and they came out and recommended against routine screening with PSA tests for men of any age. And it really put their recommendation at odds with our recommendation as the American Urological Association and actually the American Cancer Society. And it was really kind of this, uh, it painted a, it gave a, it really, it made, sending so many mixed messages out there. They felt that, you know, we're, we're, it's so common not that many people die from it. That were over diagnosing it and over treating it. So they said, just stop checking at all. And they had they looked at they had several large studies they looked at and they kind of put all the data together and they said, see, it's not really helping men. And 2017, they came out and kind of changed the recommendations. This is the U.S. Preventive Service Task Force and said, well, you can check them, but you got to do an individualized approach to screening based on. A, a thorough discussion with patients about the harms and benefits of screaming. However, they re-looked at the data and kind of re-looked at the large series that they had. And they did find when you look at PSA screening and screaming for prostate cancer, that it does decrease prostate cancer deaths from anywhere from 25 to t- 32% of the time compared to men who aren't screening. So in since 2017 and To the present we are back screening men for prostate cancer checking psa levels and doing rectal exams and other tests i'm going to go over those here in a second but i find it really interesting there's a lot of controversy out there about psa do we check it do we not check it you know a lot of family doctors aren't screening men like they used to
0: did that really change the the controversy when that happened was that like a whole sea change or was there like a lot of argument and and is it kind of
1: finished now? Are we done with that? Or is it still like an ongoing? I think a lot of family doctors aren't up to date on it and they're, they kind of realize, yeah, there was a controversy with it. And maybe, maybe it does help. Maybe it doesn't help. And, and a lot of, a lot of doctors will start checking PSA tests, but not doing rectal exams or not doing a full workup and not taking it as serious as they did before. And I think, I think there is some controversy there. And I, I think that, that doctors, didn't really know what to do or what to think. And they found that when they ordered a PSA test, it wasn't being covered by insurances because the insurances would say, well, look, this is against our recommendations. So I think it takes a while, especially for some older family doctors to kind of get back in the line to start checking again for prostate cancer. Great question. And this, this is my favorite picture. If you you can learn anything from this, this podcast is i don't want you to be like the ostrich that just buries its head in the sand And this is like men men just kind of just they don't want to deal with it they just want to you know avoid any kind of contention any kind of argument and um they just kind of want to forget about anything that could be possibly harming them and i want i want you to do the opposite i want you to take your head out of the sand and i'm I'm like a uh i like the vegas analogy like if you're going to play your hand if you're going to be sitting down playing cards you really want to put all the cards on the table mm-hmm. and, and really look at each one of them before you play your hand. And that's kind of what I want you guys to do and, and to really learn about all the options, all the cards, and, and really make an informed decision. So what are what are the traditional tests? This is, this is old school. So back in the day, this is when I did my training, we would check a PSA, which is a blood test. And that blood test I'm referring to as PSA, that means prostate specific antigen. It's a blood test that that picks up this antigen, which is secreted by the prostate. And everybody has a little bit of all men have, have, have a prostate and they'll have some PSA reading because a normal prostate makes this PSA, this antigen. And when men get older, that prostate gets larger and the PSA goes up and they notice that the reference ranges change when there's a 50 year old guy and his PSA is one that's okay. Uh, but if a 50 year old guy checks his PSA and it's three or four, that's not okay. So that's PSA. And then a rectal exam. This is the urology handshake. When most, most patients come to see me, they look at my hands, the older guys, they want to know how big my finger is because unfortunately, um, you know, I do a lot of digital rectal exams. And what that is, is manually I put gloves on and lube and, and put a finger in the rectum and feel the prostate. And I'm looking to see if there's any bumps, if there's any lumps, if it's firm. It really should be soft and symmetric and smooth. Um, It kind of feels like the back of your knuckle. And a prostate, normally it starts about the size of a walnut, but it grows as men get older. So if I check like a 70-year-old, their prostate may be the size of a small lemon. But um, yeah, that's what we recommend. We recommend doing a blood test and an exam. And how often, we'll talk about that. In 2021, we have so many more tests. So the problem with PSA and the reason why there was some controversy on it was it's not a good test. It's only about 60% accurate in picking up aggressive prostate cancer. It can be elevated for other reasons. Like I said, if your prostate enlarges, the PSA is going to go up. And also if there's inflammation in the prostate, like prostatitis, that just revs up that PSA value. And a lot of men are alarmed. They'll get their PSA checked and they'll find out, you know, they're they're all concerned they have cancer and we do a workup and it turns out they have inflammation or prostatitis and they may not even have symptoms, but they have some inflammation in their prostate causing that PSA to go up. So PSA is not the best test. It's 60% accurate, but it's a very inexpensive test and it's a test that we know. And once you get diagnosed with prostate cancer, it's the marker that we use to follow it. It is an important test and you should have your PSA checked, but if it's high, Then what? Well, there's so many other tests. On this slide here, uh, we can look at different versions of PSA. We can look at a free PSA, a PSA density that's taking the PSA and comparing it to the size of the prostate and making sure they connect and correlate. PSA velocity, that's the rate of increase. So if I check a PSA one year, and the next year it's doubled, that's very worrisome. There's these new urine tests that we look at markers in the urine for prostate cancer. And the most exciting thing right now is MRI. I think an MRI is kind of like a manogram instead of a mammogram. Hmm. We're gonna be checking the prostate and looking at it and seeing if there's spots or lesions that are concerning for prostate cancer. And those tests are much more sensitive to traditional PSA in picking up a pr- aggressive prostate cancer. Pretty cool. Here's one of the urine tests. There's a couple different companies. This is one made by um, a company, it's called Select MDX. And basically, for this test, after the rectal exam, the man urinates in a cup and we look at the urine. It sends, we send it off to this, this lab. And what they do is they're looking for changes in the DNA um, that are pushed off when I do the rectal exam. The cells come in the urine where they look at it. And if it's high, there's there's a strong likelihood of having prostate cancer. This tested in the series and the people they looked at is about 89% accurate in picking up prostate cancer. So if somebody wants to avoid a biopsy, and we'll talk about that, and they have an elevated PSA, this is a great test to kind of really sort out whether or not they need a biopsy or not. And it can avoid unnecessary biopsies. Another test that I really like is 4K score, which takes PSA, and it also adds a couple of other markers, four different markers, and it puts it together, and it'll give you an overall risk of if, what is the chance that they would have an aggressive prostate cancer if I did a biopsy. And this again is, is, is like 89, 90% accurate in picking up aggressive prostate cancer. And these are great new tests. And if you if your doctor draws a PSA and it's high, these are some alternatives that you can do instead of running and getting a biopsy. You could get some more information. You could look at all your cards. And I think these newer tests are, are excellent in in better risk stratifying uh, patients' you know, chance of having aggressive prostate cancer. An MRI, I think, is, is also a great test. And let me show you. This is, a, this is a picture of an MRI. And this is a gentleman with a very large prostate about the size of a lemon. And he's had multiple biopsies, and all of them were negative. But his PSA was still extremely high. So we got an MRI, and you can see there's a little red area that they circled. And they found this spot. And on this side here, we made a 3D model of that spot. And what we're doing is an MRI fusion biopsy where I take the MRI images, fuse it with an ultrasound, and do a really pinpoint targeted biopsy just in that spot. And if there's cancer there, I'm going to find it. Where in the past, what we used to do, and this is a traditional prostate biopsy, um, we, we, we take a needle, and this is crazy. The patient here is asleep but, uh, uh, for this, but we put a probe in the rectum. And then a needle goes through the rectal wall and we take out tissue. And in the past, you really didn't know. You're looking at an ultrasound, so you can kind of see the area, but you don't have a target. So you're just taking traditionally 12 biopsies in different sections of the prostate, hoping you, if there is cancer, you get it. Again, not very accurate, but with this MRI technology, now we can see spots, make 3D models, and stick a needle in a very um, accurate, direct way into the prostate. And the latest thing that we're doing, instead of doing a transrectal biopsy, because this, you're putting a needle through the rectal wall and that can bring bacteria into the prostate, which can go into the blood and people can get very sick. Almost two to 3% of people who get a prostate biopsy, even if they have antibiotics, still get sick. So this has risk. And 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 again, you're, you're putting a needle through the rectum, it's gonna bleed, you're gonna have a recovery. And I don't wanna put all men through a prostate biopsy. So the other tests are really, Um, assess risk before putting all men who have elevated PSA or abnormal exam into a a biopsy. Um, You really want to rule everything out and do everything you can to avoid a biopsy. And and that's how I kind of run my practice. The latest thing is not to do a transrectal biopsy, but to do a transperineal biopsy where you're sticking a needle uh, through the skin underneath the scrotum, you're not going through the rectum. And in those, if you can do it that way, if that new technology, there's a 0% chance of getting an infection. So uh, Technologies, this it's been a renaissance in urology uh, for urologists. And some, some urologists have really uh, hopped on that bandwagon, have taken on new technologies, but some have not. So I, I would check with your urologists and see you know, how they do their biopsies. Are they doing an MRI? Are they going to do an MRI fusion biopsy? Because I really think that's a standard of care. And that, that gives us the most accurate um, way of, of knowing if somebody has prostate cancer or not. You don't know if you have prostate cancer unless you do a biopsy the tissue is the issue and to get the correct tissue out. I love all this technology, MRI, make a make a 3d model of it, stick a needle right in there and get that tissue. And then what we do from the tip from there is that tissue. Here's an, here's a 3d biopsy here. Look at this. This cool. is an MRI fusion biopsy. And uh, uh, you can see the targets just hit straight on. The technology is just that accurate right now, but after they do the biopsy, we send the tissue off to a pathologist, which is a doctor that looks at tissue under a microscope and really sees what it is. And this is this is this is uh, uh, this is going to be awesome. If you guys can understand this, you're going to be ahead of most all patients. So when people get prostate cancer and they do a biopsy, they get a Gleason score. And that Gleason score is just a number of how aggressive we think that cancer is. And people say, oh, I have a Gleason seven or Gleason six or Gleason eight. Well, what does that mean? And I'm going to break this down. This is awesome. So this is the nice picture here of the Gleason pattern scale. So the, that, that pathologist is looking under a microscope and looking at the cells. And if the cells look just extremely irregular, and you can see those cells are at the bottom, they're going to give it a rating of a five. If it's Irregular masses with a few glands, they're going to give it a four. If if it's not that differentiated, it's going to get a three. So they're going to give it one of those numbers. And they're going to look at the predominant abnormality in what they're looking under under the microscope. And they give it a one number. So let's say it looks like a four. The majority of the cells look like a four. They're going to say it's a four. And then they're going to give a second number, which is basically the minority of the cells. Well, they're going to say, well, there's some threes in there, too but mostly fours. So we're going to call that a four plus three and equals seven. And if you look at my table over there, you can see that really indicates how fast the cells are growing. Most people get diagnosed with, a, you know, in the past, at least than six or three plus three, which is not an aggressive cancer. And Those are the slow cancers that I think men live with their whole life and it causes them no harm. Once that number goes up, it's a faster growing cancer. It's more aggressive and may need more serious treatment. So it's really important to know what your number is if you had a biopsy and what that means. But this is, check this out. Gleason score used to be what drove treatment, but now we have genomics. This is a test by Prolaris. Mm-hmm. We have other companies that make similar tests. And what they do is they look beyond the microscope and you take the cells and you send it out and they look at something called cell cycle progression. And they're seeing how fast the cells are replicating, how how they're multiplying. And they give you a score on how aggressive the cancer is from a microscopic, from from beyond a microscopic standpoint, from a genetic standpoint. And they'll give you a number, uh, what they think. This is Polaris. They'll give you a number and they'll tell you what the mortality risk is if you did nothing. So they'll give you like this gentleman here has a 2% chance of dying from prostate cancer in 10 years if he did nothing. And we consider that to be a very low risk, something that could be followed. And I would recommend in this case to do nothing, even if the Gleason score is a seven, which we consider intermediate risk or concerning. If the if the genomic testing is low, I think that trumps it. And and these patients, I have a lot of patients that come to me that have been recommended to have treatment. I say, listen, I you know I so sometimes the treatment is is worse than uh, the disease. And for, for most men of prostate cancer, we can follow it. And we call that active surveillance. We're going to talk about that. But active surveillance, in this case, is very safe. We have we have, you know, a, a, a blueprint of their DNA that says it's safe. And so and I like that. I feel much more comfortable with it.
0: So you think that, I assume everyone gets a Gleason score. Like if they have the biopsy, they're going to get the Gleason score. But then getting Absolutely. this extra new technology, the genetic uh, profiling, that is really a game
1: changer thing. It's it's an utter game change. I'm going to show you here an example. And like here's a gentleman here, um, one guy named John, another guy named Carl, same age. And both of them are diagnosed with the same Gleason score. And the question is, are they going to have the same outcome? And they don't. You do this genetic test on them. One of them has a 2% mortality. Another one has a 7% mortality. So the gentleman, Carl here, if the 7% mortality, he needs a considerably more aggressive treatment where the other gentleman, John, should do nothing. And this is how you really look at all your cards on the table, is that you're, you're doing this, this extra next step level. And Medicare covers this test, and most commercial insurances cover it now, too. It's been an uphill battle for the last four or five years, but um, these tests are the standard of care and really need to be done with all patients who get a biopsy. Pretty cool. Very cool. Um, and how,
0: how, uh, how common are these tests now? Like when just in the market, is this something patients should be asking their,
1: uh, yeah. their about? I, I, most of my patients come to me for a second or third opinion. And most of my patients have not had this done unless they go to, you know, an academic center Mayo, or they, they go to, um, maybe a, 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 a urologist that's really specializes in cancer. Uh, these tests are often not done because in the past it was kind of an ordeal for the urologist to order it because they wouldn't be paid. The patients would get bills, and the process really wasn't streamlined. It was more of a headache. Um, but, you know, for me, I, I'm, I think it's worth a little headache to get better answers. And uh, it's been easier. That headache has gone down quite a bit. And now we know if these are covered or not. And for most cases, it's usually covered. That's great news. Yeah. So if, you're, if you are if you have at least a score, but you don't have a genomic score, you don't need another biopsy. Those biopsies are saved. They're stored. They can take the tissue that was already done, send it off and get an analysis. So it's actually pretty easy to do. You can just request it, say, this is what I want. And if your urologist doesn't agree, maybe get a second opinion.
0: That's great information.
1: Yeah. So what are, what are the treatment options? And what do we do for prostate cancer? A lot of people want to jump here, but I think it's more important to really understand the nuances of, of prostate cancer, Of of, you know, what it is. Um, screening for it, but let's say I, I you know, we, we you're coming to me and you already have a Gleason score, and you have a genomic score, and you want to know what's the next step. Well, for most men, and I mentioned this before, active surveillance is key. Um, you know, I think we overtreat, and we've done that before. And I think for urologists, we're going to look back at the '80s, '90s, you know. And, and and I think we've over-treated men. And the problem is some of these treatments have severe permanent side effects. Um, for example, if you do surgery, almost all patients have diminished erectile function. They lose part of their sexual function. And most men have urinary incontinence. They're leaking urine. And a lot of them get them back, but some people don't. Some people have permanent urinary incontinence and diminished sexual function for removing a cancer, that probably would have caused them no harm. And I think we're going to look back in time and, and really uh, kind of frown on this. I think we did men a disservice by overtreating prostate cancer. So, if all this information now, you know, if you don't have an aggressive cancer, don't do anything. And that's a hard concept to tell patients because patients, they hear the word cancer and they freak out and they think, I got cancer, I got to do something. But if we know with much more clarity that nothing bad is going to happen to them. Why not? And active surveillance means not just doing anything. We're actively following this patient. And if the cancer progresses or if it becomes, you know, more, more aggressive or, you know, we're going to catch that. So men on active surveillance are going to be followed. They're going to have PSA tests, rectal exams done every three to six months. We're going to do a repeat MRI, repeat biopsy if needed. And and really follow men um, for years, and that's one of my favorite things to do is to to get somebody who comes to my office and is just just scared and to give them that peace of mind that they're going to be fine. Um, it's it's awesome, and I think for most men that should be an option um, to look at. But let's say you you get your Gleason score back and it's a Gleason eight or Gleason four plus four or at least in four plus three, this, these higher numbers, and you do those, gen, those genomic tests and, and they, they're aggressive too. That genomic Polaris test will tell me three numbers. It'll tell me one, what's the chance of you dying in 10 years? Two, it'll tell me um, if I treated you, what's the chance that it could come back um, or be metastatic or spread in the body? And, and three, it gives me an overall number of how aggressive it is so if you look at all that and, and, and it is worrisome then I, I suggest we do something more aggressive for treatment and surgery is a great option this is a a procedure that that urologists have done for years and now we use a robot to do it we do something called da vinci robotic prostatectomy and i'm going to show you a picture of that i'll skip around but basically this is a surgery that i, I love to do and, and on my instagram uh dr mehan I do robotic surgery live every week and I like to really demystify what that process is, but it's a couple hour surgery, we make very small incisions about the size like of an inch. And we have this robot that we dock to the body. And I essentially sit on a console to play a video game, cutting out the prostate and sewing everything back up. So a robotic prostatectomy, you're, you're cutting out the entire prostate and then you're sewing the bladder Back to the urethra, leaving a catheter, and then sewing the patient up. And they're usually in the hospital overnight. They wear a catheter for about a week. And then they have to go through pretty significant rehabilitation to get back their control of urination and to regain sexual function, which can take anywhere from 12 to 18 months. And it never comes back as good as it was before. The other knock on the surgery is not perfect. People think. This is, this is probably one of the most the biggest misconceptions I get. People think if they get a prostatectomy that they're going to be cured. It's going to be taken out of them, and they're not going to have to worry about it ever again. That's wrong. You're going to have to be followed very closely. I have my uncle. And I, I love my uncle. I'm going to share his story. He had a prostate cancer, and I was in training. I trained at Indiana University. Awesome place. I had some of the best mentors you could ever ask for, and He is a doctor in Ohio and and wanted to come to Indiana and have it done. And, um, you know, I was like, maybe you should just stay in Ohio. There's some good doctors there. So there's a really famous doctor uh, who is a pioneer in robotic surgery for prostatectomies and has really evolved that science. And he did a surgery. He's probably considered the best in the world, has done the most robotic prostatectomies in the world. So I felt good. He did a surgery. went well, got it all out. All the margins were negative. Um, he was cancer free. his sexual function came back. His, his urinary continence came back. You know, he was dry eight years later. His PSA drove, went and started going up, got an MRI and the cancer had come back eight years later and he was now getting radiation and getting treatment for it. But surgery is an option and it's a great option. And it definitely, you're able to take out the entire prostate. You're able to take out the lymph nodes and see if it's spread. And uh, it's probably one of the best options we have for treatment. And I, I kind of reserve that for people with aggressive cancers that absolutely need aggressive treatment. Another option is radiation and radiation and surgery are very similar. They're, they've been around for a long time and you're destroying all the tissue that you're taking it out or you're destroying it and they have similar success rates. Both are, Excellent options and and do a good job. And I don't want to downplay like oh you're going to get a prostatectomy or you're going to get radiation and it's going to fail. These are highly successful surgeries and the best things that we have. But you still have to be followed afterwards. Radiation there's a lot of different types and people say oh well, I'm going to get proton beam that's radiation or they're going to get external beam radiation our IMRT or brachytherapy the seeds all those are forms of radiation where you're destroying tissue and it works really well and it's best reserved for people of aggressive therapy. They also have similar side effects to that of surgery. It can destroy sexual function and it can make people have urinary issues. There's also about a 1% risk of injuring the rectum with radiation where you can have, uh, changes when you, when you have bowel movements and whatnot, there are definitely risks with both of these procedures. And if they fail, there are things you can do. If you have surgery and it fails, you can get radiation. If you have radiation and it fails, you can get HIFU, which is another option I'll talk about in a second. But those are kind of reserved for uh, more aggressive diseases. One thing that I like, if you're going to get radiation, okay. this is called space SpaceOr. This has been out for a number of years, and it is awesome. You're basically putting in this hydrogel, this gel between the rectum and the prostate. And it adds space there. So when you get radiation, it avoids injury to the rectum. It pushes the rectum away from the prostate. So that traditionally, that 1% risk of having rectal injury with, with radiation is gone. And they think maybe it'll have less risk to rectal f- dysfunction so your sexual function will be better with 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 radiation this is a procedure that a urologist does or the radiation doctor does but you should definitely all men who are getting radiation should have space or put in it is a covered procedure Uh, i think it's a game changer to make radiation more safe not everybody gets it but i think the more education we give everybody should get it so that's radiation what is radiation Uh, we talked about that Um, It can be long. Radiation can take, you know, depending on how aggressive the cancer is, it can take, you know, 40 days of going in, but it's usually a quick visit. It's like 10, 15 minutes, you're in, you're getting radiated and you're out. A lot of men have very little side effects during radiation. They may have some fatigue and tiredness, but a lot of guys don't. It's pretty easy to get through. The side effects of radiation present later on, where with surgery, the side effects present right away. Um, But both of them have side effects. So surgery and radiation. What are the the, the what's this HIFU thing? So a lot of people see me specifically for this procedure I here have here on the right called high intensity focus ultrasound. And they have a new one called Tulsa. And I want to talk about those a little bit because those are cutting edge. That's something that most urologists don't do but are aware of and what what is this? So let me let me go over some of this. So HIFU, this is a great picture here on the right. You can see it's a uh, high-intensity focused ultrasound. You're basically putting a probe in the rectum and directing high-intensity focused ultrasound into the tissue to ablate it. This is a way that we destroy tissue, and we can do so in a very specific way. And this is a game changer in that we can treat just the area where the cancer is and avoid treating the rest of the prostate thus having significant less side effects. I look at it as breast cancer, and I compare breast cancer to prostate cancer because in breast cancer, and did you know this? Breast cancer affects the same number of women as, breast can- as prostate cancer affects men. They kind of mirror each other as cancers. And in the past, when women had breast cancer, they would take out the whole breast. They would do a mastectomy. And they got better though. So now they do a lumpectomy and then maybe some radiation, and they take out just the cancer and leave the organ, organ-preserving surgery, and it is just better for, for better for women. Why aren't we doing that for prostate cancer? Prostate cancer is usually a very small area in a big gland. Can't we just treat that small area and leave the prostate? Then we don't have to worry about sexual dysfunction, about leakage. HIFU is the first step in that direction where we can target just an area. I can take the MRI overlay it with the ultrasound and treat just that spot. Um, this has been out in Europe for a number of years. Actually it was invented in Indiana where I did my residency and then the FDA trials for sonoblade, the system here that I use was done in Indiana. When I came out to Arizona um, I helped to introduce it here to our market and now it's, it's being done all over the place. Most academic centers have HIFU and offer it to patients, but not a lot of the private urologists do it. Um, there's some reasons for that. i could. Kind of go over in a detail but basically it's like using a magnifying glass and focusing light we're going to focus ultrasound and destroy tissue this is one of my first patients i have a youtube video of him and his, his experience online um, i love this guy but we did his treatment this is one of my first treatments in arizona and this is probably 2017 2000s 2000, i have to look back when i did this but if you look to the right here i'll, I'll enlarge it this is his prostate the circle And you can see this is the area above where I treated how the tissue became all blacked out. Now I'm treating these areas and these are Skittles. And this is where the energy is being focused and destroyed one at a time. And for him, I treated just, I treated most all of his prostate, but I've had a lot of patients now that, that come and see me. We treat just the area, but it's interesting. So for his course, I did his procedure on a Friday and he spoke in church on at his church on Sunday. And then we took his cath- his catheter out the next week. And the following Saturday, he went on a repelling trip with his youth. I mean, it's just awesome to see the kind of recovery you have with some of the newer technology. The latest thing is Tulsa, which I'm really excited. We're going to launch that here in Arizona in 2022. And it's done in probably about six or seven different places. They have a, a center in Beverly Hills. I have a good friend that goes out there and treats. But that is like high you're using ultrasound, but instead of going through the rectum, This is a procedure again here. I'm going to put this probe in his rectum. Um, You go through the urethra and you use an MRI machine and you do it with a live MRI. So you can see exactly where you're treating with MRI. And it uses the same principle of of focusing ultrasound on a specific area, heating that tissue up and destroying it. But you can avoid treating. You can kind of do a subtotal treatment where you, you avoid treating important areas that are needed for sexual function, but treat the areas where the cancer is. And I think that's the future. And, and they're going to do studies. They're, they're just opening them up right now, comparing robotic prostatectomy and Tulsa and seeing which one is better. And it's going to take time to look, you know, how do patients do over years and years with these procedures? But I find it really exciting to, to, to be part of this and kind of looking at the future. And this is what the future is going to look like. It's going to be targeted therapy and avoiding the traditional side effects that we see with traditional treatments.
0: So Dr. Meehan, just a question there. As you think about those three things, right? The robotic surgery, and then the two different types of ultrasound and not kind of knowing right now, maybe which one's the best, like we're, we're gathering the data on that. Are there different profiles or different things that patients should be thinking about of those of like making a choice between them
1: um, or is yeah. it? It's it's so hard. So I, I, I present all these options to patients. I give them a book on prostate cancer. I give them all the papers on HIFU. I give them papers on prostatectomies. I have to meet with a radiation doctor and sit with them and then make a decision. I don't try to sell anything. I'm just sharing what we do and what the options are. I can kind of tell them how to play their hand based on how aggressive their cancer is. I tell them all my patients with not aggressive disease don't do anything. I think if patients have intermediate risk or Gleason 4 plus 3 or something that's not super aggressive but still is concerning, I think HIFU is a great option. If you have a very aggressive cancer, like, you know, a Gleason 8 or Gleason 9, when you add those numbers up and genomic tests are, are off the wall, you may need surgery and radiation. Mm-hmm. Um, HIFU wouldn't be a good option or Tulsa may not be a good option because you know, those are more, that's a more aggressive cancer and may need a more aggressive treatment. It's the guy that comes in with a Gleason 4 plus 3, this this intermediate risk where they have, they can choose anything. That's where it gets a little more complex and you kind of have to play it out. There are some pros and cons with all the options. Um, and there's some nuances too. Like, for example, if they have calcifications in their prostate, they can't get Tulsa. So they, they may need to get those calcifications removed or do a different type of treatment. Um, if their prostate's humongous, it may not be able to be treated well with with one of these procedures. Um, there's some nuances with it with 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 it all. But in general, most all options are available for for men. and it, it gets confusing because there's just so many good options. Um, but there's pros and cons with all of them.
0: Well, it's just so exciting. So that what you've covered here, really what I think of is like three big technology blocks, right? Number and, one, what are the new treatments, right? I always think of treatments. And so there's these new forms of ultrasound, right? Um, there's advances in surgery they're having here. You covered some of the advances in, in radiation. And then I think of, of diagnostics, like our ability to actually understand what is the real situation? So, our understanding of biology is just like advancing, and right? having these genomic tests and screens is just adding this fidelity from what you've you presented here today, like to actually have just better information to make the decision in the first place. right? It, it just really makes that so much clearer.
1: I, I want to share with you, this is my favorite study. and I, I like to share this with all men because it really shows you how prostate cancer cancer behaves over time. And this is the best study that we have. It's called the PROTECT trial. We could not do this in the United States. What they did, this is in Europe. They took 1,600 men with prostate cancer. And they said, a third of you get surgery, a third of you get radiation, and a third of you do nothing. And let's see how you do it. We'll follow you for 10 years. And 75% of the patients in this pot had low-risk disease and, and maybe shouldn't have done anything. But we have a, a good amount of data here that we can we can understand it. So... Those that did nothing, half of them freaked out in that 10 years and got treated, um, either with surgery or with radiation. But if you look at the people that stuck it out for 10 years, only one and a half percent of them died from prostate cancer, one and a half percent in 10 years. So again, this is, not a lethal, this is not a disease that you have to make it in a decision right away. You have time to explore all your options, to research it. Don't get pressured. Again, this is prostate cancer is very slow growing for most men. Um, In that 10 years, though, 6% of them, 6.3% of them had metastatic disease. That means why they're watching it, 6% of them, the cancer spread in their body, maybe to their bones, to their lymph nodes. And you still can be treated even if metastatic disease, when it's spread, there's all kinds of treatments. And that's a whole nother talk. I can talk for hours and it it is evolved. There's all these new advanced treatments for prostate cancer that, that it's just so exciting. And there's genetic tests that tie into those tests to, to treatments. But again, 6.3% of had metastatic disease. Now, those who had treatment, surgery, radiation, only 0.9% of them died from prostate cancer. So that's not a big difference. 1.5% with active surveillance to 0.9% from treatment, full-on treatment. Um, but less of them had metastatic disease, 2.4% versus the 6.3%. So the overall kind of takeaway from this is, most men don't need treatment. You're not saving lives over 10 years, maybe over 20, maybe over 30. So if you have a young guy, yeah, you may want to get treated, but you could probably prolong treatment and 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 be on active surveillance and watch it. And then if it becomes more aggressive, then get treatment. So I am a big believer in active surveillance. I'm excited by new technology and new things. And uh, but if we can get somebody safely into that to that area where they're not doing anything, um I think they're better off.
0: And, you know, the last block I always talk about is the technology that helps us all communicate information knowledge. So you talked about it early in your your discussion here, just the controversy that's been going on around testing, right? And how do we share this knowledge? And I always think of kind of systems that exist inside the practice, right? EMR systems and billing systems, and those things have been getting better. But what is it that's really touching the patients? And it ends up being advocacy groups and information sites and social media and channels and and I, I'll say it now I'll say it again, getting the type of information just presented out there, right? And helping people to understand it so that they at least know what they're going into, I think is, is hugely impactful. Anything in the community, the patient community that, or in the places that people go to get information that they should think about, like this is good information, not good information, and any advice for kind of the wide, wide world of all the stuff that's out there that people should be thinking about.
1: It's crazy. I have, I have for example, I have a really good friend who, I just diagnosed a prostate cancer who's a dentist, super smart. Um, he's 52 years old, young guy, has kids. And you know, I, I presented this to him. I've given him all papers, I've spent hours talking with him on decisions, and he's he's kind of back and forth on what to do. And then he he reads stuff online just on some random sites. And there's there's journal articles too. People have, you know, they'll write papers and, and whatnot. And they'll say something and it really trips him up, you know, and he'll say, you know, he read something about doing a prostate biopsy, how it could spread cancers. And they, they shared this small little study that they did and they have so many connections and, and to, to even to, to, to make that association is, 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 is not sound science, but you have all these, you, you can read anything. Everybody has an opinion and, you know, it's important to, I think, Look at the best studies and and studies that are that are that are that are are done well to really make educated decisions. So you know he this is a doctor is a dentist who 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 is w- very well uh, read and you know he's getting tripped up on the internet. So the internet can be tricky. I like the American Cancer Society. There's there's a bunch of what other organizations out there. American Neurological Society um, has some good information. The the one thing that I think it, I like to, to have my patients do is to see a radiation doctor, to see a surgeon, see a urologist, and to get their opinions, to do, you know, one-on-one consultations. We can now do telemedicine visits, so we can do it at home on your computer. So that's pretty easy to do. If you want to sit down with a radiation doctor or a urologist, you should do it. I mean, it's just, a, just to get their opinion and kind of have them look at all your data um, and, and and give them their, you know, their interpretation of it. Uh, I think it do, does well, but there's some good books. There's there's a couple books I just give to patients. And let me let me see if I can pull one of them up. Um sure. not-
0: while you're looking for that, you, you'd mentioned yeah. you have a similar presentation for metastatic disease. Is is that
1: correct? Oh yeah, yeah. Me back on this. We'll go over here. Oh, I can go on for a long time. Metastatic you disease. Just book that.
0: Yeah. Um, and we might have to break that one up. It sounds like. Uh, into some bite sized chunks or?
1: Yeah, yeah. Questions? What could I just have Can you, yeah, 101. I apologize. I should have had this out here.
0: No problem. We will we'll, uh, edit.
1: Okay, good. Yeah. So, yeah. American Cancer Society is great. They have an awesome website that I think is up to date and they have. Uh, sections on questions to ask about prostate cancer. And I think that's a good, good homepage um, and, and places to, to springboard off of. Um, so the National Comprehensive Cancer Network. Yeah, they have patient guides on there. I think they're excellent. They keep up to date and they understand the genomic test. And that's actually put into the guidelines now for us doctors. So things that I've been, Recommending on here or recommended by the NCCN, which is this National Comprehensive Cancer Network. I think that's a great place to check and to start as well. Yeah.
0: Wonderful. Well, if you'd like to send us maybe um, some of those links to those books, um, we'll include them actually in the podcast so people can go and find them like directly if they want to get them. Um, oh, that's exciting. Yeah, it's exciting. So Dr. Meehan, this was an incredible presentation. I am so glad that we connected on this. And um, gosh, just a wealth of information. Um, I knew, I thought a fair amount about prostate cancer, and I realized I knew very little. uh, As we've gone through this presentation, now I'm way further along. Um, So thank you so much for that. Um, And let's do this again in the advanced uh metastatic space um and talk about that i would love to do that i think this is just absolutely uh priceless information
1: yeah no my, my pleasure i'm grateful and humbled to be here and and again i think the the more steps we can take to demystify what we do and and just to kind of simplify it and make it easy for everyone to understand the better and if i've helped you today uh, if i helped anybody today'm I'm, I'm happy happy that i was able to do that
0: Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Meehan. Thank you so much.
1: Welcome. Take care. Great.
0: Awesome. That was beautiful, Dr. Meehan.